0: Welcome to Larpender Life, the podcast about H.P. St. Paul in the 80s and 90s. I'm your host, Dave Carey.
1: Everybody was supportive of each other. I was expecting to get fired. I feel like HP was my family.
0: This is episode number four, and today's guest is Barb Stinnett. Barb was at HP for 23 years. If you missed episode zero, the introduction, please have a listen to that to find out what this podcast is all about, where you can find it, and how you can get in touch with me. And now, here's my discussion with Barb. Well, I'd like to welcome my guest for this week, Barb Stinnett. Barb, thanks for joining me today.
1: It's a pleasure, Dave. It's great to see you.
0: Let's start out with how did you first hear about HP? When was that? And, and how did you uh, get hired and get connected?
1: Uh, it was August of 1981. And uh, like a lot of us that had just graduated, it was 101 degrees that day. And I'm out in my suit sweating to death in a car with no air conditioning. And I got over to Hayden and Associates. So quite a few of us from the field, Hayden and Associates was the firm in town to help get sales jobs. And I went in and my little outfit, my little bow tie on, and I thought I did a great job. And at the end, he says, I'm sorry, we don't have anything to, you know, for you at this moment, but we'll get back in touch. And I remember thinking, okay, that's sad. Uh, as I was walking out the hall, I tripped in my high heels, which I was not used to wearing yet, uh, coming out of college. And my resumes went everywhere. This really nice guy uh, named Paul Beard uh, stopped and picked up my files and said, oh, you have a computer science background? I have a candidate that just canceled on me. Would you do the interview? It's with Hewlett Packard. And I'm like, of course. He's like, well, here's the address, and you need to be there in 45 minutes. So I literally had zero time to do any homework. I got in my non-air-conditioned car, drove from Edina over to St. Paul. And went right in and uh, had the ominous pleasure of meeting Tom Rappa. And I don't know if uh, many of your listeners remember Tom, but Tom was larger than life. He was just great. This big, joyful person comes to the door. And, and anyway, we had a really nice hour and a half together. And, and uh, you know, we went through the background. It was really great. And then the blowing crush question, he says, by the way, tell me what you'd know about Hewlett Packard. And I proceeded to try to BS my way through and said, well, it's an airplanes parts company and they're really famous and they work with Brockwell and Boeing or whatever. and whatever. he goes, he goes, thank you. That was very insightful. And like three days later, I got my rejection letter. So <laughs> <laughs> I had no time. I didn't know who HP was, which is really bad. I mean, I'd done everything on IBMs and on other systems, but, but not on uh, Hewlett Packard.
0: Did you know... From the beginning, that you wanted to be in sales. You know, when you were in college, did you know that sales was where you were going to head, or or was that something that came later?
1: No, I absolutely did not want to be in sales. I actually said I would never be in sales, and I went to be a computer science degree, and I wanted to write software. So I took myself very seriously at the time in school and thought that I really wanted to get into uh, programming and development and be a, a true software engineer. And I took the job at HP just to get into HP, hoping that it would lead to a real job. And it turned out that sales was the real job, right? Being able to connect all that technology, that phenomenal technology, and take a business issue and know how to communicate and bring that together. I think, Dave, like you and I did so many sales calls together where we would just actually do what now today is commonly called solution selling or consultative selling, where you can't just go in and talk about your bits and bytes have to be able to talk about the what the, they care about and then translate it into how to meet your quota so that to me became the engineering part and understanding computer science as it applies to an industry
0: so thinking back to um, those old those beginning days uh, when you were starting out most sales reps have some experiences when they're starting out that are a little challenging <laughs> things don't always <laughs> go the way they you know, that they think they might. Uh, Did you have any experiences like that?
1: Oh, my gosh. I think the first five years was one big experience like that. We had, um, you know, in the beginning, there was a, we did a great job. Nobody had a formal training program to onboard somebody brand new out of school. And so we actually just jumped in, everybody jumped in, you know, my uh, boss, my colleagues to really help us all be successful. There were four or five of us. And I remember there were like two things that stand out. So, Mark Dankers, I think, can sell ice to Eskimos. The guy's fantastic. And he really had command of a couple of key counts, like at 3M and General Mills and a few others. And he said, Look, I'm going to teach you, because he was really good. I'm going to teach you on this new product called the HP 150, which had the butterfly. It was our very first touchscreen. He goes, I'm going to make it famous. We're going to learn this demo. We're going to go to General Mills. I've got our big annual budget meeting. We're going to be in the auditorium. There's, I don't know, I think there's like 600 people or more in this auditorium. And so he actually taught me this demo. We went in, I was so excited. I got up on the stage. I had a little bit of screen fright, or stage fright, sorry, but Mark coached me on. He got up and he gave the introduction to the audience and said, you know, I'm really excited. This is Barb. She's just joined us, you know, six months ago." Um, So let's give her a big hand and she's going to walk us through this first demo of touchscreen for the industry. And so I was like, oh, thanks, Mark. And I was like all excited and I get on my little keyboard and I'm like, okay, so this is a touchscreen. I was showing if you touch this, this happens, you touch this, what happens? I said, so now let's do something. Let's go through the demo. But first I'm going to show you how to reformat your C drive. And before Mark could breathe in, I had already executed it. Demo's over. No C-Drive. C-Drive wiped wiped out everything to demo. So Mark graciously got up out of his chair and says, well, that's all folks. Thanks for coming. And Barb, welcome to the team. And I just remember going, oh my gosh, I just totally killed probably like it was for the budget too. Right. But, uh, but Mark was like, so, so gracious. And um, I just, I just loved uh, the learning on it. I felt really bad. I of course, Mark put me through training for another like two years, and didn't, never invited me back to do a demo for him. I don't get it.
0: But shocking.
1: <laughs> but that you know that was one. Or I remember being with Cargill as I progressed. I um, had Worldwide Cargill, which is the world's largest private company, and I just was dedicated on Cargill at the time. And our you know our one and only CIO from Hewlett Packard, Lloyd Taylor, had left California and became CIO at Cargill. I didn't know him at HP, but I got to know him at Cargill. And another opportunity where we were looking to uh, close the budget for the upcoming year. And I had one of our top uh, executives come out to, to a dinner. And we were in the private boardroom, beautiful white tablecloths, centerpieces, you know, with candles and all kinds of elaborate stuff going on. And I didn't realize that the um, the executive that I invited out actually really gets very nervous in front of other people. They preferred to be on -on one-on-one. And I had invited the entire board. There was 22 people there. So all 22 men were asking questions of this one female executive from HP. And she got nervous and started um, just fidgeting a little bit. And she started fidgeting with the centerpiece. And then she took the pine needle branch out and was fidgeting with it. And it caught fire in the candle and the whole table burned down. They put the fire out and everybody was safe. But, uh, you know, I I said, well, Lloyd, I'm really sorry about tonight. Uh, Needless to say, I know we're probably not getting the order. And he says, no, we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Let's get everybody home safe. So we did. And then the next morning at 7 a.m. I woke up and he had our order for the full next year already in my mail. So... Another great story of a client who just like believed in us. And I know uh, Dave, you and Kevin Dumay and Lamar, so many people worked on Cargill. And uh, even though we set their boardroom on fire, they still supported us. I thought that was pretty cool.
0: (laughs) So you you mentioned briefly you and another female being in a sea of men in a meeting. And I'm sure that happened to you quite a bit. So it's great to talk about the old days in very rosy, positive ways. But um, these days... Uh, sometimes we've we look back and we think, well, maybe this wasn't such an easy time to be a female. What were some of the things that maybe people misremember about those days, or are, or what was it like to be a, a female starting out in the industry with the company, with customers? Um, you know, tell me about that.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I have actually thought about that a lot during these COVID days when we have a lot of time to think, and um, you know, Dave, when when I graduated in 1981, I, I remember the 60s, right? When you and I were growing up and, uh, and you know, the whole Gloria Steinem and the women's rights and, all those, and everything that went along with that, same time with Martin Luther King, there was just so much change happening. And then all of a sudden life goes on and you go off and you graduate from high school and you go to college. And quite honestly, I actually thought all that was addressed two decades before when I started work. And it wasn't until I got to work, um, and probably not even until 1986, quite honestly, where you know let's start taking a look at what makes sense and where are people comfortable and uncomfortable. And and you start to really see the actions on the front line, uh, and not just HP, but just in general with clients or being in the business world. Technology industry, right at the time, it was really rare, rare to be a woman. And it was even more rare to kind of be at that time on the front line, Um with in front of customers, right? You might be in order processing or on the administrative side, but not like holding a bag with a big number on it to bring home every every year. So if, what I remember about it is I never thought about it until we started having diversity training in 1986. So 81 to 86, it was just like, I'm one of the team. I never felt different. Everybody was there. Uh all everybody was supportive of each other. I don't think many people even thought about it. Some of uh, some of the um, older gentlemen, like, you know, didn't pass their uh, diversity training to the point where I think our poor HR guy, Rod Peters, just kind of gave up on a few and said, Okay, it'll be okay. And um, but it wasn't really a big thing until we had. Uh, you know, events that started around, you know, eight, between 86 and 90, where it really, st- we were getting bigger. There was more women. There was still a lot of travel. We were doing all of our fun skits that were really fun. But then a lot of them started to cross the, the border, you know, cross that, that line. And it got awkward, right? We all were trying to figure out like how we, we grew up together playing, right? And just being being playful and fun. But then all of a sudden, we started realizing, oh, we hurt somebody and we didn't mean to right? And um, so there was a learning period there where we had this great playtime in the 80s to mid-90s. And then we started seeing some of the cause and effects and how, in some cases, it wasn't helpful to others. And I would say to HP's um, strength, especially in the St. Paul office, right? We really took it to heart and everybody did their very best. And if there was things that came up, we actually all just talked about it. I mean, I remember that. I remember Marie... Dalton. And, um, I cannot remember the person with Marie, but she actually said, Hey, I think this skit is absolutely hilarious, but you know, these three women really felt insulted. And I remember a group of the, of the gentlemen in the office getting together and apologizing and saying, quite honestly, I don't get it. So can you help me? Cause I don't want to be that person, but I don't get what I did that was bad. And so I just, I always thought that, well, it was a tough discussion. It was, it was very, very good. I never felt that I wasn't part of the team. I I, I felt I was always part of the team. The only negative piece I had was um, once when I had a client that was going to make or break my quota for the year who literally said, I need you to be more than a friend to me in order to give you this order. And um, And I laughed. I thought he's kidding. And I And then when I found out he was serious, I turned down the order. And I I remember going back to HP in the parking lot and just crying. I'm like, I can't tell my boss I didn't get the order. His last thing he said was, don't come home without the order. And I sat in the car for probably a good 45 minutes to an hour. And then finally, you know, pulled my my boots up and went in and said, okay, look, I didn't get the order. Um, I'm really embarrassed. Here's what happened. And uh, I was expecting to get fired. And my boss basically sat there really quiet for a minute and then said, well, that's just bullshit. Let me buy you a beer. And we went and got a beer and I can't tell you the relief of that being a woman feeling I have failed on a performance level. I did not get the order, uh, but I wouldn't take the order for what was at risk and, um, and having that support, you know, that was, by the way, that was one of the managers who actually failed diversity training for six times. But when it came to having to deal with it, was right there by my side.
0: I think that really speaks to the leadership that we had in the office at St. Paul during all those years there in the 80s and 90s. And you've alluded to it several times already. When you think about those times, and if you just imagine in your mind's eye, walking into the office, looking out at that big expanse, there's a lot of commotion going around in, in the heyday. you know, What stands out to you about what that culture was like and, and what made it special?
1: Oh my gosh. I was thinking about this uh, as I was thinking about our discussion and I'm kind of a bullet type person, bullets. And like, if I was to just walk in, what I felt, what I heard right away was laughter, lots of burst out laughter, right? So there is a camaraderie. There is a sense of being part of something. Um, Everybody, I mean, I just think of like certain people's laughs and you can just hear them, right? Uh, Lamar, right? Who couldn't hear Lamar's laugh? Uh, And, um, and I think the just there's a lot of life. There's a lot of activity. There was a lot of spirit that was going on in there. There's a ton of thinking. People were energized and really wanted to figure problems out. I think the HP Invent, you know, even though it was a corporate branding, I think it was dead on for our period of time there. Because all of us were just trying to solve these interesting problems by applying our technology. And for me, that's what I loved about I didn't want to be a sales rep, but I stayed a sales rep. Because it was about knowing the technology and knowing how to apply it, so it helped somebody in some way. And I think the group that we had were really collaborative about that, and that was a really big deal. And it showed up from when we, you know, we worked super hard, and we play super hard. You know, we always had our uh, annual fishing trips up at Lake Osakis. We'd, you know, have our golf tournaments, and none of us golfed at the time at Maddens, and, and we'd have our big meetings around those about how we're planning for the year and planning for a quota you know, the all those things I, I remember when um, not only uh, Lake Osecas but we'd go down to uh, the Ozarks. But those are the kind of things that were really like you could never do that now. Right. But it was it was pretty special at the time.
0: So I've heard you mention laughter and camaraderie and teamwork and support of your management and so forth. And the way that the group helped each other. Why do you think it was like that? You know, not every company. In those days was like that. You'd walk into some other customers and sometimes it would feel kind of gloomy. That's true. What was it that made it that way for us?
1: That's a great question, Dave. And you know, it's I think it's hard to put words on. It's a feeling. Like when you said that, you like spoke straight to my heart. I think part of it is we were very fortunate for that moment in time. The mix of people with the Midwest core, really having, you know, the do good. Culture in the Midwest, and having it applied by being super smart teams, figuring out how to help other people through applying technologies was part of it. Uh, but I really feel that there was a tremendous care for each other. I, 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 I feel like HP was my family. I haven't seen her talk to you in I don't know how many years. I feel like it was just yesterday. You come on the screen, and I almost start crying. I'm like, "Oh my gosh right? I feel the same at night when, you know, now in today's COVID and things are tough and it's hard and I'm sad. I go out to Facebook and I look up Diane Fritchell. I look up Lamar. I look up to see where Wayne Hughesby's family is, you know, after losing Wayne, just what's happening with Wayne. You know, Tom Kahn, John Hennon, all these people. I I literally sometimes at night just lay and think about two or three of our team and I go up and down the rows in my mind of that office, right. Where we had the analytical team and the medical team was on the other end. And then we had the components team with Sherry Comstock. And, you know, and then I think about our, you know, technology groups and the sales teams and then the big SEs with all you smart guys in it. But I can literally still see the rows and the back office management that lined all of it. it. It just felt like home.
0: Okay. So HP, Cybase, i2, SGI, some total Timeron group. I probably missed a few.
1: And Cisco. Cisco and Oracle.
0: All right. So you've held some senior executive positions at a lot of companies. Yeah. That is a really long way from starting out in 1980 calling on Benson Optical with me. Yeah. 4 decades ago. So where do, where does that where do you suppose that ambition in you comes from?
1: From our family at HP. From everybody in St. Paul. The fact that for twenty, my first 23 years was in laughter and love and nourishing in a very hard industry for high tech, in an industry where hardly any women existed. It kind of like if you put it on paper today and looked at it, nobody would believe it.
0: So Barb, uh, as we get close to wrapping up here, I w- really want to thank you. Um, I'm sure that my listeners would love to hear a little bit about what you're what you're up to personally these days. Where are you living these days, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know how are things going for you personally?
1: Yeah, thanks, David. It, it's been a lot of fun today. So. So I'm here still. So I I dual residence in St. Louis Park and in Santa Cruz. So while I was out with Hewlett Packard for years, I forgot to tell you that I bought Walter um, Walter Hewlett's house. Wow. So during 9-11, sorry, I just got to tell. So during 9-11, I was in some crummy hotel for 282 days straight, working for Adrian and trying to look at what we were going to do for 9-11 to help. And do during that, I met Walter Hewlett and He says, well, why don't you just buy my house here? Why are you staying in a hotel? I'm like, Minnesota people can't afford California houses. Long story short, he actually came back with a CD. He figured out what I could or couldn't afford. And he actually said, if you want this, this is what we can do. And it fits in your salary. And that's how I ended up getting my home in um, California, in Santa Cruz. I mean, we could have never afforded it on Minnesota salaries. Uh, but that just goes to the fact of who the company was and how people cared back then. And um, so I still kept that place. And, and But I'm mainly in St. Louis Park. Uh, my parents live with me. They're both 90. So I'm a huge caregiver for them. I uh, run a, a small boutique uh, artificial intelligence firm. We do analytics for healthcare and um, just really enjoying life. I We have, uh, you know... It's hard being in COVID, but we're fortunate that we have a small family bubble that we get to be with and the technologies of Zoom and other things help bring it together as best it can right now. But we're really looking forward to getting out. So hopefully by this time next year, you know, everybody will have a chance to breathe and be able to enjoy uh, seeing friends and family again.
0: I really am looking forward to the time when we can have a conversation like this in person. So thanks again for joining me.
1: Me too, absolutely.
0: Thanks for listening. Larpender Life is produced solely by me, Dave Carey. It's not affiliated or sponsored by HP in any way. Please let me know what you think of the podcast. Please also let me know what other former employees you'd like to hear me interview. And also what day would work well for you to be my guest. Until next time.